Welcome to the Justin Peters Program, where we're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, studying to show ourselves approved, rightfully dividing the word of truth so that we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here's your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you are doing well. And I want to thank you for joining me for this week's installment of the Justin Peters program. If you listened to last week's program, you had to put up with a great deal of background noise because of our RV heater. We live in a little RV right now while our house is being built. And uh, Lord willing, we should be moving into our home right around Christmas time, maybe a day on uh, either side of Christmas, somewhere in there. So we're really looking forward to that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we had the heater running full blast last week because it was very cold this time a week ago. And uh, we did not buy a an all-season RV. Hindsight being 2020, we should have, but our RV trailer is a, a pretty light one. And there is precious little, if any, insulation in the walls. My guess is probably none. So um, when you turn the, if it's really cold outside and you turn the heater off, it takes about a minute before it you can see your breath frost. So it gets cold really quick. So I had to leave the heater running. So I appreciate your bearing with me through that. But now uh, I am in the church office recording this tonight, the evening of December the 6th, 2014. So don't have to worry about the heater. I'm in the church office doing this. Jim Osmond, the pastor here, has graciously allowed me use of the office. So uh, don't have to well, also last week, I couldn't get into the office because I, I just I wasn't feeling well. And, and two, it was really, really cold, so I just stayed in. But at any rate, uh, thank you for your patience last week. You should not have to worry about the noise issues this week. And um, uh, it, is, uh, it is starting to warm up a little bit. We've had some snow. There's a couple inches of snow on the ground. Uh, started snowing, I guess, day before yesterday. And, and um, was driving out to my house, to our house site anyway, Yesterday, well, maybe it was day before. Anyway, day before yesterday, I guess it was. But driving out there, and I have a, a pickup truck, a Chevy pickup truck. We traded our old RV in for the new, uh, for the Chevy pickup, and uh, in the RV trailer. So anyway, I was driving out there, and I've never had a pickup truck before. I always wanted one, but so now I've got a, a, a pickup truck. Uh, but there was a considerable bit of snow on the on some of the back roads up in the woods, and I uh, put my truck in a four-wheel drive so i have never i've never uh driven with four-wheel drive before but i put my pickup truck in four-wheel drive and uh i thought man this is cool if i could just get me a big dog to put in the back of my truck a four-wheel drive truck then it'd be a real man so anyway it's kind of kind of fun i like the snow i like the cold weather i can handle the cold better than i can the heat so anyway i digress um before we begin, I do want to us to continue our conversation on hermeneutics, but before we begin, just quickly, you may remember a couple months ago I did a program and I, I mentioned a gentleman that we met in our RV trailer that I will name Bill. Uh, uh, that is not his real name, but we'll call him Bill. And uh, you may remember that I said that uh, in our first conversation with Bill, Bill told us that he was, he has been chased through the woods by a pod of Sasquatch. And so we knew immediately that Bill is a little different, kind of an uh, interesting character. 
And Bill is a, a middle-aged man, and he is able-bodied. Nothing significantly wrong with Bill. He's you know very much able-bodied. But he doesn't work, and uh, he refuses to work. But Bill is always complaining about being bored, and I think his boredom, excuse me, has got him into a, a some trouble from time to time. But you know, if I didn't, if if I didn't know Bill, Bill Bill would be the kind of person that I would find very easy to dislike, because I have never had a lot of patience with people who are able-bodied and refuse to work. Uh, I just, I don't understand that mindset, that that uh, entitlement mentality. Uh, but there's, of course, a lot of people out there like that. So Bill could work, he just chooses not to, and he, and he lives off the government, off of Social Security and disability, and, um, probably a couple of different, two or three different sources of uh, government subsidies, income, welfare, basically. And uh, I've talked with Bill, Kathy and I both have, and he's always complaining about being bored. And I say, well, Bill, why don't you get a job? Uh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't want to do that. I've done that before. I don't want to do that. I say, well, Bill, you're always saying you're bored. Why don't you get a job? At least it'll give you something to do, even if it's working at McDonald's. There's no shame in that. There's there's honor in work, whatever the work is. And and uh, no, no. And you know, and I just don't have much patience with people who are able-bodied and refuse to work. And so he's one of these kinds of guys that, that I would find very easy to dislike. But, uh, you know, we've gotten to know Bill over the last couple months, and we have tried to witness to him. Uh, Bill is, he, 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 sometimes he says he doesn't believe in God, he's an atheist, other times he'll say, well, God is an alien. He, he, he believes that humans were put here on earth by aliens. And I ask him, well, Bill, who created the aliens? And, and uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he doesn't have an answer for that. So he cannot believe that God is eternal and self-existent. He, he, he just cannot believe in something like that. But he has no trouble in believing that aliens put us here, even though he doesn't know who created the aliens. Uh, but sometimes he'll say that he hates God. Uh, sometimes he'll say he prays that God would kill him. God will just take him out. Sometimes he'll say he wants to go commit a crime just so he can be arrested and have three hots and a cot. So, you know, he's a, he's a mess. Um, and he, we, Kathy and I both have tried and tried and tried to witness to him, evangelize him. We have shared the gospel with him every way we know how to share it. Kathy has, I have, we see him almost every day, talk to him almost every day, and almost every day we share the gospel with him, and, and we've tried and tried and tried to get him to go to church with us, thought we were maybe going to get him to, to go with us one Sunday, but he backed out, and, um, but he, he, if he ever, if, when he does say he believes in God, he says he hates God, he says God's never done anything for me, what's God ever done for me, you know, he says he doesn't have any family, and so he, He's just, uh, he's, he's very, very lost. And, you know, as we've gotten to know him, yes, he's one of these kind of people that it's it's easy for me to dislike, but then you get to know him, and it's not that you're not frustrated with him. You are. I am. 
but you realize, you know, this is a person. This is a real human being, and he will die, and he will face a living and holy God, and he will go to hell, and he will spend all of eternity enduring the wrath of God in hell. And you don't want that. You know, you just, you don't want that. And you, we've talked and talked to him and shared with him and, and um, pled with him. And, and it, it's just, it's like talking to a wall. And there's just, there's absolutely no, seemingly no fertile soil there at all. So uh, it's, you know, he seems to be a classic case of Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 uh, when Paul describes those who have been given over God has given them over to a debased mind a depraved mind and there there comes a time when when God just gives people over when he gives them over to a depraved mind and when God gives somebody over there there is no hope I, I, I hope that that is not the case for Bill, uh, I fear that it is. It certainly seems like he has um, he fits the the Romans one category. Uh, as as an example of that, he says that you know he's very he's single and he's lonely and he wants a girlfriend. He's been trying to get us to help him find a, a girlfriend. He says if you can't find me a girl, a man will do. You know, it's just when he said that, I was like, oh, you know, that just creeps me out. But. So he seems to fit a Romans one, and and you you grieve over that. Yeah, you don't you don't like him. You get frustrated with him, but you realize this is a real man. He's a real human being, and he's going to die, and he's going to face a real God. And so uh, it is it is um, it's heartbreaking. It is, but um, but if you think about it, pray for Bill. We've certainly been praying for him, but I don't know. He very well may be one of those Romans Romans chapter one. Uh, situation so it's it's just kind of when you see uh, biblical doctrine and theology played out like that you, you see it you get to know somebody who you think fits into that category it's um, it's it's sobering I say it's in now when this is going to sound really bad when I say encouraging not in not in the, in, in the sense of, of bill how we look at bill but but it's just interesting maybe that's a better word uh, I, just to, to see biblical doctrine played out in front of your eyes. You know, it's it's just, just a, I don't know, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Not encouraging, that's a bad choice of words, but but um, you do see biblical doctrine played out in front of you. But Anyway, uh, most of the people that I, I witness to are, are pretty, you know, it's not often that I have an opportunity to have a regular, ongoing conversation with, engagement with, interaction with, somebody who is very hostile to the gospel now out on the street in the shopping mall in the grocery store the other day in the in the uh, parking lot of Lowe's home improvement store in Coeur d'Alene Idaho yeah I, I talked to an old old man very old man who was coming out of the store and uh, long story short he and I struck up a brief conversation uh, and and I tried to witness to him and he got very very angry and he's you know, this man looks like he's on death's door, and he says he hates God. I played with him a little bit, but it just it just infuriated him, infuriated him even more. And, and so that was brief. You know, I don't know this guy. Uh, uh, so you know, yes, you have you have things like that. But 
I don't know that I've ever really been in a situation where you have an ongoing interaction, almost daily interaction with somebody that is is in that Romans one category, and you you know you get to know them, and it just it breaks your heart. But um, it is you do see the the truths of God's word played out in front of you. So anyway, if you think about it, do pray for Bill. Uh, let us begin with hermeneutics. Uh, last week we we continued our discussion on um, some of the pitfalls into which people will fall into dealing with hermeneutics. Uh, last week we talked about the pitfall that is known as experientializing, uh, taking uh, experiences, stories that we read in Scripture that we know to be true, and we read ourselves into it, or we interpret the Bible by what we experience. Well, this must be biblical because I've experienced this. This is real to me. And so we talked about that pitfall. Today's pitfall, this week's pitfall, is kind of a kissing cousin of that, if you will. It's very, very similar, but a little bit different. This pitfall, if you're keeping along with our outline, this is still under Roman numeral 7, potential pitfalls. This is the letter H. The pitfall of individualizing. Individualizing. And the pitfall of individualizing is when we read ourselves into a text of Scripture and we claim it for ourselves, but it was not meant for us. Okay, When we read ourselves into a text and we claim it for ourselves, but it was not written to us. So a very close kissing cousin, if you will, to the last pitfall from last week. This week, the pitfall of individualizing. We read ourselves into a text and we claim it for ourselves, even though it was not meant for us. And to give you an example of this, uh, the first example we'll look at actually comes from the the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Now, this has been, if you've done Experiencing God, and chances are you have, because this has been an enormously popular um, a workbook, a study course, I think it came out back, oh, probably, I'd have to look it up, maybe a, a year off one, or, one way or the other, but somewhere around 1993, uh, early 90s, 93, 94, somewhere in there. So it came out, uh, Experience of God by Henry Blackaby, and this was just very, very popular, really hit uh, Baptist churches by storm, took Baptist churches by storm, and here we are 20 years later, and it continues to be very, very popular. And uh, but there's a lot. There is there some right in experience of God. Sure, there is. There is. Uh, there are some things right, but there's a great deal of error in experiencing God. A lot. Blackaby makes a lot of common hermeneutical errors throughout the book. He has introduced, for one thing, I think uh, experiencing God by Blackaby is is probably the, the thing that is singularly most responsible for introducing soft, charismatic theology into non-charismatic churches. And by that I mean he talks uh, regularly in the book about hearing the voice of God outside of Scripture, that we should hear God speak to us outside of Scripture, that still, small voice. And Blackaby says at one point, I don't have the page in front of me, but at one point he says, quote, if you have... If you have trouble hearing the voice of God, you are in trouble at the heart of your Christian experience, end quote. And uh, so that, that, that introduced uh, mysticism into uh, non-mystical churches, charismatic theology, non 
charismatic churches. So uh, very, very troubling in that. But uh, I want us to, again, I want to back to the uh, topic here, give you an example of individualizing this error that is found in uh, several places in experience of God, but one of them in particular. This is on page 119 through 120. Uh, this is a direct quote from Henry Blackaby's talking about his daughter who had a, a bout with cancer. So listen to this, a direct quote. Henry Blackaby says this, he says, quote, Earlier I told you about our daughter Carrie's bout with cancer. As we prayed, a scripture promise, now, that's an important word there, he says, a scripture promise came that we believed was from God. The verse reads, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John 11, verse 4. After three months of treatments, all the tests were negative. End quote. So, what Henry Blackaby did is he took a verse of Scripture from John chapter 11, verse 4, and he applied that to his daughter, Carrie. Now, why was he wrong in doing this? Well, three problems with this interpretation. Number one is this was a statement made by Christ, by Jesus, regarding Lazarus, not Carrie Blackaby. Jesus was talking about Lazarus, the sickness that would not be unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus was talking about Lazarus, not Carrie Blackaby. So this is a very common hermeneutical error that people make. And um, Henry Blackaby makes this mistake in a number of places throughout his, his book, Experiencing God. Very, very common mistake that people make. Dear friends, we cannot read ourselves into a statement or a, especially a, a promise that was not directed towards us. This was not talking about Carrie Blackaby. Jesus was not, did not have in view Carrie Blackaby. He was, of course, talking about Lazarus. The second problem with this statement by Henry Blackaby is that this is not a promise at all. Henry Blackaby says, he says, as we prayed, a scripture promise came that we believed was from God. And that scripture promise, he says, you know, the sickness is not unto death. But this was not a promise. This was not a promise that Jesus was making. This was not a promise. It was a statement. And so Blackaby is wrong, A, when he says, when he applies this verse to his daughter Carrie, and he's wrong, B, when he says that this was a promise. This is not a promise. This is a, simply a statement. And the, the last problem with this, letter C, the third problem with this interpretation is that, in fact, Lazarus died. Lazarus did physically die. Now, Jesus raised him from death, raised him from death to life, and so in that, Jesus was glorified. So, um, it did not end in death. I mean, well, it, Lazarus did physically die, but it wasn't permanent. Jesus raised him from the dead. So, uh, <laughs> you can't even logically apply this to Carrie Blackaby or anybody else because when somebody dies of cancer or whatever today, when that person dies, they are dead. Um, they're they're dead and they're not going to come back. So it doesn't even make any logical sense. So, th but this is a very very common 
mistake that people make. Now, if we were to use Blackaby's logic, and if we were to use the logic that so many people use, uh, and I used to make this mistake back when I didn't know any better, and back, honestly, when I wasn't even converted, but I, but I, I would make this mistake, too. I would read a, a statement um, in Scripture and apply that to myself, or see something in Scripture. For example, back when I was a teenager wanting to go see the faith healers, and my, uh, my parents took me to see faith healers, Nora Lamb, R.W. Schambach, and others, I was reading in Acts chapter 3 one day, Acts chapter 3, first few verses there, and uh, see where a man who was lame uh, from his mother's womb was healed. And I thought, ah, that's a promise for me. No, it's not. That's not a promise for me. It's not a promise for you. It's not a promise for anybody else to scribble. It's just a, a recorded event in history, a recorded event in biblical history. Yes, it happened. But no, this is not a promise for everybody else. So we can't do that. Now, using that logic, we, we would have to... Could we also look at the statement that Jesus made, for example, to his disciples in John chapter 21? This was after his resurrection. And uh, John chapter 21, his disciples were out in the boat. And he said, verse 6, he said, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So, do we apply that to ourselves? You know, if we're out fishing, for example, if I'm out fishing one day and in my boat and uh, and I'm not catching anything, the fish aren't biting, so I have a little uh, copy of the New Testament in my tackle box or something like that, and I pull out the New Testament, and I read that in John 21, and I see where Jesus said to his disciples, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So, so if I turn around and start fishing off of the right side of the boat, will I find a catch? No, of course not. I don't think anybody... Any of us would, would apply that to ourselves. You know, I don't think any sane person would do that. But why wouldn't we? I mean, it's the same logic. It's the same logic that Blackaby uses when he quotes John 11, verse 4, and he applies that to his daughter Carrie. So we can't do that. Well, what about a little bit later in the chapter, in John chapter 21, when Jesus, again, is uh, he's continuing his discussion, but he's, he turns his attention to Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, when you are, quote, he says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And, end quote, this was, of course, Jesus talking to Peter and, and prophesying to Peter, telling him that, that one day he would be uh, taken by others and, and uh, taken to a place where he didn't want to go. And that was uh, foreshadowing, that was a prophecy of Peter's death traditionally held to be that Peter was crucified upside down. Well, this was a statement that Jesus made to Peter. I don't think any of us would be real anxious to apply that statement to ourselves, now would we? But using Blackaby's logic, I don't know why we wouldn't. So you see, this is a common fallacy. It's a very common mistake that people make. Uh, dear friends, do not read yourself into every statement and promise that you see in Scripture especially not when it's made to an individual, specific occasion, specific purpose. Now, uh, in a general sense, can we take promises that we find in Scripture and apply to ourselves? Uh, yes, in a more general sense. I'm going to get ahead of myself. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. So that's, um, that's one example of individualizing. Uh, another example of indiv individualizing. Have you ever heard somebody say, 
this. Well, I'm going to pray a hedge of protection around you. I've heard people all my life uh, in prayer meetings, and, and I hear it now a lot in the charismatic circles. People will say, we're going to pray a hedge of protection. And I've actually heard a couple of pastors who who are doctrinally sound even uh, say this, pray a, a hedge of protection. Well, where does this come from, hedge of protection? Well, hedge of protection is taken from Job chapter 1. You probably know this. Job chapter 1, Satan has this audience with God. In verse 9, Satan answered the Lord. They're discussing Job, of course. Satan answered the Lord. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him? Have you not, excuse me, have you not made a hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. And so people will take this, this hedge, and they will apply it to themselves or where they think we can pray a hedge of protection around our friends, our loved ones, our you know, family members will play, pray a hedge of protection around them. Well, you can't do that because uh, this hedge of protection, and protection is not in the text, it's just hedge, but people kind of supplied the hedge of protection. This hedge of protection was set up by God himself. God set up this hedge. God ordained it, he created it, and it was his to maintain or to remove as to his good pleasure. This hedge around Job uh, was not established as a result of prayer, but by divine decree. So when people say, well, I'm going to pray a hedge of protection, we hear people pray, Lord, pray a hedge of protection. Is there anything wrong with praying a hedge of protection? Well, let me say this. There's nothing, certainly there's nothing wrong with praying for God's protection for our friends and our loved ones. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have this hedge of protection thing, and it's almost become a, it's almost become, become a magical incantation. We think as long as we say this hedge of protection, that's almost like uh, you know uh, putting the coin in the slot and God's automatically going to do it because it's scriptural. Because there was a hedge placed around Job, and we think if we just pray a hedge around our friends or loved ones, that God will do it for them just like he did for Job. Well, a couple of problems with that. Number one, uh, God is not obligated to do for anybody else exactly what he did for somebody in scripture you know it's, it's he's not obligated to do that jesus healed people in in uh, his earthly ministry is he obligated to heal everybody today no in fact there were people even in jesus earthly ministry that he did not heal john chapter 5 for example so uh, just because god did it for one individual does not mean that, that that's a blanket promise and guarantee that he's going to do it for everybody else and also as i said this hedge was not set up as a result of someone's prayer to God. It was not set up as someone's petition to the Lord. God just set it up himself. He created it. He ordained it. It was his to maintain or his to remove according to his good pleasure. And also, think about this logically. If we are going to just pray a hedge of protection around an individual or our family or a hedge of protection around our marriages, can't tell you how many times I've heard people, Lord, I pray a hedge of protection around their marriage. Well, if, if we're going to just, if, if God was obligated to do that, uh, Lord, we pray a hedge of protection. And usually it's not, Lord, we ask you to put a hedge of protection. It's usually, Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around so-and-so, around this person, that person. Well, if, if that was, 
if that was a guaranteed answer, if we could just pray a hedge of protection around somebody, well, why not pray a hedge of protection around our entire community? Why not pray a hedge of protection around our entire county? Why not just uh, pray a hedge of protection around our home state? Let's pray a hedge of protection around the United States of America. Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around the United States of America. Well, then does that mean we could drop our defense budget to zero? God's going to put a hedge of protection around us? Why not pray a hedge of protection around the whole world? And then everybody would be a Christian. So see, it doesn't even follow logically. So, again, nothing wrong with praying for God to protect someone, if that be his will. Nothing at all wrong with that. But we've gotten to the point where we think if we'll just say edge of protection, it's almost like this magical incantation. You know, almost like an abracadabra and it's done. But no, no, not at all. Uh, that is individualized. It's reading ourselves or one of our friends or loved ones into a, a text that uh, was not intended for them. In fact, does not even follow logically or theologically. Give you a kind of a funny little, as we close, a little bit here, a funny little illustration of the fallacy of individualizing, or the folly, I should say, of individualizing. Give you an example of the folly of individualizing. You may have seen people or heard people say things like, I just needed a word from the Lord, and I just needed something from Him, so I, I opened my Bible, and I just pointed, and I knew you know, whatever I would point at, that would be God's word for me. Some people have done this. I don't know if you've heard this. You may have already heard this, but I first heard it in seminary. thought it was kind of funny, so I kind of remembered it. But the folly of individualizing, reading ourselves into a text that was not intended for us. So this hypothetical person needs a word from the Lord. And so he says, Lord, I really need to hear from you. I need direction. So I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to point. Whatever I point to, I know that that is your word for me. So this person does that. He closes his eyes, opens up his Bible, puts his finger on the page, opens his eyes, and his finger falls on Matthew 27, verse 5, which says, And Judas went out and hanged himself. Oh, no, no, no. That can't, that can't be for me. No, 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 no. So, so the person closes his eyes. He says, okay, okay, I'm going to try this again. So he closes his eyes. Uh, opens to a different part of his Bible, puts his finger down on the page, and, and then uh, opens his eyes. He's, his finger falls on Luke 10, 37. Jesus told him, Go and do thou likewise. What? Go and do? No, no, no. That can't be right. So, oh Lord, i got to try this again. So so he, he closes his eyes once again, uh, thumbs through his Bible, opens to a different part, and puts his finger on the page, opens his eyes, and his finger falls on John 13, verse 27. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Oh, no, 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 that can't be right. So, one more time. So, you close your Bible, you open it up to a different place, close your eyes, put your finger on the page, open your eyes, and you, you see that your fingers fall on Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Kind of dumb, maybe a little funny. So, but this is the folly of individualizing. It's it's kind of dumb, but it illustrates a point. We cannot just randomly read ourselves into statements in Scripture or even promises necessarily uh, if it was not intended for us. This is the folly of individualizing. You can get yourself in a whole heap of trouble by doing this. It's a very common mistake. 
uh, but it's a very dangerous mistake too because people often will uh, use this as their uh, their their understanding of God's will for their life. So you can't do that. Now, as I alluded just a, a minute earlier, we can take promises that were made in a general sense, theological promise, promises, promises that are that are based on theology, promises that are based on the character and nature of God, promises that are given to believers in general, and we can apply those things to us. The Apostle Paul writing uh, the book of Philippians, for example. Are we the original recipients of Paul's uh, Philippian letter? No. No, we're not the original recipients. But are there promises in that book for us? Absolutely. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, for example, when Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication make your requests known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, yes, we can take a promise like that and apply to ourselves. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is a general promise. Originally, of course, Paul was writing this book to uh, the church in, in Rome, but that applies to us too because it's not specific to an individual. This is for all believers. So, uh, or this is for all people who will, who are willing to turn from their sins, confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. And by the way, confessing with your mouth, Christ is Lord, is not just verbalizing the words. Uh, in this day and age, if you are willing to confess with your mouth that Christ was your Lord, you are you are basically saying that you are willing to die for the gospel. You belong to Christ. It was a, a verbal public uh, confession of faith, and in this day and age, may may have cost you your life to do so. So it's not just a not merely a verbal confession, but if we are willing to to do that, if we are willing to turn from our sins, repent of sins place our trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, and what thereby we believe that Jesus is the King of glory. He is the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God in human flesh, the Savior. Uh, yes, we will be saved. That is a general promise that we can apply to ourselves. So, I hope that this has been helpful for you, dear friends. Uh, it's a very common mistake that people make. Very, very common. It can be very, very dangerous. So uh, be careful as you're reading statements in Scripture. Promises don't necessarily apply them to yourselves. Don't think if you're out fishing and you're not catching anything and you read in John chapter 1 that Jesus told his disciples to catch their nets on the other side of the boat that you can turn around on the other side of the boat, of the boat and start catching fish. It sounds dumb, but it's the same logic. It's the same logic. It's a, it's, a, it's a very same mistake that people make with other verses of Scripture. So, thank you very much for listening, dear ones. We will continue next week. We'll have one more, I believe just one more program on hermeneutics. And then we will uh, conclude that study. And we will go into to another uh, series. I would like to, go, what's coming up, I'd like to do a series on Eschatology, just give you an overview of some of the of the three broad views of eschatology, premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism. Want to do that. And I also want to do a series on spiritual warfare. 
And for that, I'm going to be interviewing my friend and pastor, Jim Osman, here at Kootenai Community Church. Jim has written a book on spiritual warfare. It's not quite out yet. It's not been published yet. But uh, it, is, it will be coming out, Lord willing, in the next couple of months. Uh, he has asked me to, to read it, and uh, I wrote the foreword to it. It's a very, very good book. I'm really, really excited about this book. So uh, I will be interviewing Jim uh, for a series of programs on spiritual warfare. That will be coming up as well. Please do remember the television program, worldviewweekend.com. I have a weekly television program that you can view there. And if, um, if you live anywhere near the Memphis area and you are a young person, teenager or young adult, uh, do join us for the Contend Conference, January 1st through the 3rd. I will be a speaker there, as will uh, Mike Abendroth and Jesse Johnson and a couple of others. And uh, I'm really excited about that. I always enjoy having an opportunity to teach young people, so really, really looking forward to that. So do have some things coming up. Thank you very much, dear friends, and until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to the Justin Peters Program. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or would like to invite him to come and speak at your church or conference, contact him through his website, justinpeters.org. That's justinpeters.org.